Hello and welcome to this Artistic Minds podcast from the Genesis Foundation. This episode was recorded at the Mansion House in the City of London as part of the Lord Mayor of the City of London's Cultural Conversation Series hosted by the Genesis Foundation and the Right Honourable the Lord Mayor of the City of London, Alderman William Russell. His guest, before an invited audience joining in by Zoom, was the music director of the London Symphony Orchestra, Sir Simon Rattle. The conversation was likely steered by me, James Jolly. And at the end, we have a few questions from our Zoom audience. But first, a few words of introduction by the Lord Mayor. Culture is a key part of my mayoral theme, Global UK, the new future. A theme which seeks to build a well-rounded Britain which can play a significant role on the global stage. In our current crisis, it is more important than ever to be supporting our cultural institutions and creative sector. It has been a revelation to see how London's cultural organizations have responded over the past few months. And many people depend on the creative arts as an emotional outlet, and during this stressful time, many people have found solace and hope in the staggering online output of our cultural institutions. Over to you. Thank you. I'm delighted to have been asked to moderate, but I'll consider it a success if the conversation unfolds without my having to say anything at all. But I am going to grab the first question. You both head up organisations in the City of London, Simon LSO, Lord Mayor. I'm always fascinated by the, the organism that is an orchestra, how it works, how it functions, over and above you standing on the, on the podium. I mean, could you talk a bit about how an orchestra functions? Because it's a, it's a group of 100, 120 individuals, but playing as a corporate body under a leader. There are so many individually highly trained people at the top of their profession who are having to subsume themselves to some kind of greater whole and horror of horrors having often to do what the conductor asks them to do. It's how that works without killing everybody's creativity and joy of being there, but yet making it a whole. Look, I come from Liverpool and I, I, I will make no pretense at being anything other than a rabid Liverpool supporter. Wonderful. So if you imagine me in my ideal world as being Jürgen Klopp, but with hand gestures, uh, and not just the hand gestures you're thinking of. Also, an orchestra is like a football team. You can be the greatest football player in the world, but not on your own. And simply an orchestra, they can be great instrumentalists, but they need to play with other people. And they need guidance. And as the person guiding, it's a matter of how do you get the best out of people. And when I imagine the amount of uh, ego management that Klopp <laughs> must have to do with that particular group of people and to do it in a way that is not Putin-esque in the slightest, <laughs> but do it in a generous way. Uh, one of the things I loved is in the Liverpool supermarkets when they wanted to show what kind of distance you had to keep. Some of them had a life-sized cutout of Jürgen Klopp saying, leave one Klopp between you and the next person. That It's that beloved. But this, in a way, this is the team because, of course, he doesn't play football now. I do not play... The, the music now, but I am there, and I cannot pretend that I'm anything else but the guiding light behind it. They play. 
So it's a very mysterious thing of how do you make people with this high intelligence and experience and culture react and anew. What do you take from them? What do you give to them? What do you stop from happening? How do you try to make the garden grow? Very interesting. Do you, do you, do you, see, do you see any kind of parallels here in, in the city of London? It's a sort of macro as opposed to Simon's micro. Well, I mean, I, I, I wish I could be uh, in the league of Sir Simon and Jürgen Klopp. But, you know, I'm the ambassador for financial professional services. But normally I would be traveling 100 days of the year around the world promoting the financial professional service. So things have changed. But we've adapted. And that's what I'm, I'm fascinated to hear, the adapting of, uh, of the London Symphony Orchestra and what you've done during COVID. But my, my adapting is I'm on Zoom calls but coming back to the point that, you know, when you're conducting, in a way, I'm reaching more people than ever before. So COVID-19 has meant suddenly this room in the mansion house would have, what, 250 people, but now on a Zoom call you're reaching 700 people. And actually this is something that's happening around the world. But I'm fascinated to, in your Jurgen Klopp way... And I'm a massive Liverpool fan, so of course that's a, that's a good thing that we have. I always common. knew you were family somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so what's happened? You know, what have you done during uh, since March, and how have you con conducted? And also, the other thing is what. I mean, we talked earlier about you spending a great deal of your time in Berlin. I'm also fascinated. What's Berlin done differently from London? Oh, I mean, they're kind of landmine questions, some of those. <laughs> Are they not? Look, when it shut down here, the orchestra had just finished playing a Vaughan Williams symphony. And in fact, if you go into the Barbican now, the stage is still set for Vaughan Williams' sixth symphony. Nobody's had a chance to go in there and remove the stage set. The orchestra had to decide, how do we survive? Because, I mean, this orchestra, for instance, is not a salaried orchestra we get paid when we play. And I have to say that the management of the orchestra really played a blinder in saying, no, we will survive. We were not able to take advantage of furlough for the players, but we could for the staff. The City of London still supported the Barbican, for instance, yes. so they are still working. We've all been in this together. But there was the immediate feeling of, I don't think anybody is going to really help us with this. And so immediately the plans were, we transform St. Luke's Church, which has been our rehearsal and education venue, we transform this into a state-of-the-art filming studio, somewhere where we can stream and get a tiny audience when it's allowed. And the whole place was made into something that was ready to go when it was ready to go because the LSO, in the best possible sense, is a pirate ship. They're not going to wait for permission. They realize, we have to play together. And a lot of the thing was trying to get people's attention, the politicians' yes. attention particularly, of saying, look at what is happening in the long term. And you're always in a difficult state because people are dying. You do, don't want to yell about the needs of the arts. But yet, it was very important to say, unless this is supported, unless there is a bridge to the new world, you will not have an artistic industry here unless you help. And so, I, mean, I think we're in the process of making this happen. But I've been so proud that the orchestra has now been able to play together for a month 
sometimes to massive audiences of 20. In fact, it's characteristic of the unjoined up thinking that unless we have an audience of even 12 in St. Luke's Church, it is not a concert, and so we can't get George Osborne's tax relief. And so we have to make it a concert for however many, but also we just have to be able to send this music all over the world. And this has happened with a Herculean effort. But many of the orchestras have not been able to manage what we have managed and have not had the support and the help. But I think we are going to have to keep on shouting, I'm afraid. Well, no, exactly. And, and one of the things we recognise is uh, the, you know, the cultural heritage that we have here in, in London and the whole of the UK. And we've got to hang on to it and see how uh, and make sure that that, that we invest in it, and so it's, it's wonderful that you're doing what you're doing. I know that there are others who are uh, talking to government and saying, please recognize how important it is for London, uh, particularly, but also, as I say, the UK. Berlin, so what are the Germans doing uh, differently from what, what, what we're doing here in the UK, and can we learn from, from them? The basic fact that it is taken for granted uh, in Germany and most of Europe that the arts need a proper underpinning, that they can't just be running from pillar to post. That, of course, makes a huge difference. Uh, and even the German musicians, who I sometimes think are, are born in business class, realise how lucky they are to actually still be employed and to be able to sort out their problems in that way. But what is fascinating, in my lifetime, I've never seen so directly the difference that the way politicians behave affects how other people behave. The minute I came a month ago into London, on the streets there was the feeling of, oh, people do not really know physically how to behave. There's such a variety of behavior. Nobody quite knows what to do. In Germany, it's very clear. Uh, we were all treated like grown-ups, and people have found a way to dance around each other and to make it work for the good of everybody. And the difference is staggering. I thought I was exaggerating, but when I went back a few days ago for three days, I realized, no, this is really true. The arts institutions there, are able to build on a solid base. Uh, and that, that is, this is not a luxury, that's, that's a, a, a absolute necessity. We have managed here also to survive with the help of our friends from surprising places. Uh, the uh, the Corp Artes Foundation in Chile, where we went last year, has decided to buy our entire education output and have it translated into Spanish. The Japanese audiences and promoters bought our first St. Luke's production, Bartok's Bluebeard's Castle. So we want to put this out uh, to our audiences as you are not here. Uh, the, the orchestra has gone online for all the many education projects. Also in uh, in the United States of America, not only here in East London. So we've survived like that, but we have also, we are calling on the, our old friends uh, who are really supporting us, uh, sometimes in the way that actually a government should support us. The digitization 
of the world has come forward so quickly in the last uh, well, three or six months. And our businesses I've spoken to have said, you know, we had a three to five year plan, but it's all happened in six months. And the whole digital up, upskilling people and digital skills. Can you talk a little bit about what you, you know, you've done digitally as an orchestra uh, as well with your uh, digital in concert Berlin, hall? Yeah. Well, in Berlin, this was, this was another thing because I, I'm sure if I, if I had come up with the idea for the Berlin Philharmonic, uh, anyway, for anything that wasn't paid, but the idea that they would be put under that pressure every week to be broadcast all over the world and they wouldn't get any extra money for it. Uh, they would have laughed me out of court. Whereas actually the players came up with the idea, and of course then I was able to support them 100% to say, let's do this. Because obviously our future is global. Culture is the thing that is going to connect us all. And when I got a photograph of the biggest tribe of, uh, of Native Americans in Minnesota, with a sheet in a barn broadcasting Mahler's Second Symphony with the message underneath it, you never know who's watching. This made me think, yeah, this is absolutely, this is so important. That one photograph meant that the musicians in Berlin were right. Uh, and with the London Symphony Orchestra, they've made this stunning effort to absolutely be out there on all types of medias with many with, with many different partners. But something like the East London Academy, which is w working to try to train up the next gifted generation of musicians in areas where you would never expect to find them, that just immediately went online. And we are doing everything we can. And even though many of us like me are kind of horribly <laughs> analog people, we're learning what to do and we're making the best of it. And as I see all the new buildings going up in London, I wonder who is going to be in there? Uh, because so much of our life will work like this. With, with, with the embrace of sort of digital technology, I mean, it's amazing in the last six months, you know, how video as a sort of concept has just been embraced almost without question. Do you think that that brings you a different sort of audience? I mean, what about younger audiences who are completely sort of digitally savvy? I mean, do you see a sort of a shift in the audience now or, or a new way of reaching young people? I see it's possible. I think it's grabbing people's attention. And this we have to do in the, the modern world anyway. I mean, thank God. I mean, music, like all kinds of the other things we like in life, are best live. I mean, it, we can't pretend that it's anything other than a second best. But what a wonderful second best. But for all of us who were starved of live music, when you hear the first chord of an orchestra, there's this feeling of the deep ache of, my God, I really missed this. And it is something that has to go from person to person in a room. But any way of connecting the world is a good thing. And music is often even more important now. I think all, so many of us have felt that the music means something different even now and it speaks to us in a more powerful way because finally we've been tested in the way that my parents generation were tested in the second world war and we are going to need the arts to help us come out of this and explain it to us and explain what we're feeling 
I mean, I, I mean, totally agree with that. And coming back to your point about you as you come back to London and look at uh, the, the office spaces and what are we going to do? I mean, my view is the office is not going to be dead forever. And coming back to the live music, it's like live human beings interacting. And people who are returning to the workplace here in this great city are all saying, oh, it's wonderful. I'm seeing people. I'm, I can interact. We're social animals uh, all the time. And rather like the collaboration you talk about uh, and the teamwork within the orchestra, you need that, uh, need that in, in all these financial institutions because you can't do it over Zoom. And, uh, and well, of course, you can do certain things over Zoom very well. But this between the lines thing, I mean, I've seen in a few instances problems come up in firms which would never have come up if people had just been having a cup of coffee together and sorting it out. You can't do these peripheral vision things. Uh, it, it, it flattens out also our psychological responses. And so, you know, the, yes, this thing of being in a room with people, aren't we pathetically grateful? <laughs> Without, just tell me, looking, what, what can business learn from what you have achieved with, with, your, with the, the LSO. And I'm, I'm convinced that creativity is now a critical part of successful businesses. And we're, we're, we're beginning to, to get that across and businesses begin to understand that. But anything that you would uh, pick up uh, we're, from We're back do. to the peripheral vision thing, aren't we? But the business people I meet say they need people who don't think necessarily in straight lines, but yes. who make connections around. I mean, I'm in the situation where I have astonishing people uh, whose creativity I could easily stifle. And I have to find a way of making those astonishing people give their best by what, whatever this is. But I must always remember that I can stop them from doing this by over-regulating uh, everything. I shouldn't use the word regulation in a financial no. <laughs> setting at all. But you learn as a conductor over years, how do you actually release people to do what it is? What do you need? Carrie Ann said to me, often conducting it is like horse riding. If you use the reins too much, you're in trouble. If you don't use them enough, the horse will just eat the grass at the side. But it's what you do, and never forget that it's the horse that's doing the running. And so I would only think for business people, you have to find the best people and let them run, but know when it is that they need that sentence or that word or that bit of control or that bit of encouragement. And I think, good or back to Jürgen Klopp, I mean, the relation between encouragement at the top and, uh, and don't do that at the bottom is very important. And that way he can keep something that's vibrant and alive and make everybody the best possibility of themselves. I think that's absolutely brilliant. That, that, that creativity is critical to business uh, and letting it flourish, but not letting it go completely. And not letting, it, not letting it get out of hand. Yes. The fascinating thing has been to see how can we use this and how can this also make us better? I mean, we're playing, I've conducted a lot of pieces in the last month that I'd never conducted before. And also, you know, this idea of, oh my God, I, we need two years to learn this. Well, that's gone. Yeah. As is, you know, 
actually does it matter what music critics say? I mean, so much of this, the world has changed. Mm. We're all helping each other. Everybody is ready to jump in at any moment for anybody else. You know, our first violins are playing second violin and vice versa. The can-do spirit, which is of an improvisatory institution like the LSO, is something that I think we're all having to do. Mm. Uh, and the fixed ideas of this is how you do anything, I think, are up for grabs. And I think this will change the world forever and in a better way. Mm -hmm. I think spontaneity, I mean, which is more or less what you've just said, I mean, that seems to be one thing that has just reappeared. You know, actually, tomorrow, let's do a piece by Henzer or whatever, whereas in the past, it was actually in two years' time, let's do a work by Henzer. Well, you know, no actor would know what they're doing next month. Uh, you know, we've always been planned two or three years in advance. And to kind of find a new piece and to think, okay, well, we'll do that next week is a wonderful thing. And I, I think there will be many more multi-storey car park type concert venues, which is, I mean, just a wonderful example of how people have put things to, uh, together. I mean, this is thrilling. It will need help. We will all need help to get into the new world. This will not just arrive. So we desperately need support from all our friends and, dare I say it, all our politicians. I mean, you mentioned the LSE East London Academy and what you've been doing there. Um, do you talk a little bit more about that and what you're, uh, uh, the younger generation? Well, I think we all felt that we wanted orchestras and audiences to look more like London. And, we've, and for many years now, the London Symphony Orchestra has been working in the ten boroughs yeah. in the East. And this was always part of the mission. But all of us talking together felt, of course, this is... This is not just this basic level, but within these communities, there must be simply extraordinary musicians who we don't reach or we don't get through that even more difficult bridge of kind of pre-teen into teen. And how can you encourage this and how can you bring it out? So this is why the East London Academy started to exist. And this we fund ourselves and already meeting the young people last year said, so, oh yes, of course. This is exactly what London looks like. We did the strings last year, right. and, and all the teaching is now, of course, online. You know, hopefully the time will come where it can again be in person. And again, these footballers don't only kick the ball against the wall, but play chamber music together. And we will start with the winds, brass and percussion this year. And this, it's a very long-term process. And it will bear fruit in 20 years, but there are the best fruit trees are like that. Just coming back to the city and, and the city's relationship with uh, the orchestra. You know, the Barbican, we, we reopened in July and things have been moving forward. But how do you, how do you feel the city should respond to that relationship and, and, and the future oh, uh, going I mean, forward? I mean, the first thing to say is we are just profoundly grateful to the city for keeping faith. Yeah. And the fact that the Barbican can in some way open now and that we are seriously thinking we will have concerts at the end of November and the beginning of December is, I mean, it shouldn't be a miracle, but it is. Yes. And of course, the new world will probably mean that actually more people 
will be living in this area because you know, this will not all be office space. I yes. mean, presumably it will change and this will help because it'll make it less like a, a de Chirico landscape and more a living place and it will go back to its ancient history of teeming with people throughout the day and night. And that, that's exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Right, we have a quest question for Sir Simon Rattle. Um, this is from Finn and Jones. Simon, I've always wondered about how you go about your programming. I've very rarely left a concert of yours without wishing I'd come up with a program myself. And that's carried on through the last few months in the COVID crisis. How's your approach had to change over the past few months and how much have you managed to keep the same despite everything? It's interesting. Uh, I remember reading that Stravinsky sometimes would just plaster manuscript paper on a certain amount of wall uh, and that he would know that, okay, the piece will end there. And it was as though he was giving himself a test of, okay, this is the discipline with which you have to work in now. And we have to work in all kinds of incredible disciplines now suddenly. What pieces can we play with everybody spread out uh, uh, over a, a huge space? What are we allowed to fit in? How can we seat a piece? How can we, for instance, given an empty Albert Hall, how can we use a place like that? What a wonderful chance to play Gabrielli. And, he, and for me, not only the music, but seeing the string players beaming smiles while they were on stage, hearing this Gabrielli from all directions was kind of worth the idea. But it's also a very interesting time. You think, I mean, in a, in, in a Black Lives Matter universe, to be able to discover a truly great black American composer, George Walker, and, and to use more performers uh, and composers from minorities. I mean, this is things we were thinking about that, oh, we must do this in the next few years. Mm. Oh no, we can do this now. What, what does each individual group need? I mean, how do we keep also the people in the orchestra playing so that there's, it was quite easy to keep string players uh, involved. How do you keep the tuba player working within this? I find it fascinating and it's like making up a menu. But you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a programming nerd. There's, there's nothing else I can say about that. But also a lot of us, a lot of conductors are now in contact with each other and finding, oh, do you know there is this and this and this and there is this version of this piece you can use. I'd find it absolutely fascinating. And the idea also now that we're all learning things that we wouldn't otherwise have uh, have done or would have left far too late uh, can be very exciting. Now we have a, a general question from Andy Martin. Good morning everyone, um, thank you. Um, I just wanted to raise a quick discussion into the um, sector, the freelance sector in London. Um, I recently graduated from the Orchestral Artistry Programme at the Guildhall School um, and my goal was to sort of build a freelance portfolio um, which kind of helps me build networks and then um, improve my orchestral playing so that I can actually secure an orchestral position one day. Um, I still kind of remain belligerently optimistic about the future of this. Um, but how would you suggest that young players like myself are able to find our place in this orchestral scene? This is a terrible time for freelancers. 
of all types and all ages, and many are looking in the abyss. And we all have to really be concentrated in making sure that, there, that there's not a, a lost decade of, of musicians. And for somebody like you in your position, I mean, this must be terribly frightening. And I think a lot of the institutions are making efforts also to support younger musicians. I mean, the, the, this scheme that Barbara Hannigan put on, the, we, we've been using to have young conductors working with us. I mean, in, in, her, in her world, she's been sharing any recital she's done with a younger singer. But we're now all going to have to do these handmade things. But there's no doubt that, you know, for instance, the government's uh, freelance support works for about 40% of freelance musicians and no more. And we have to work on this, otherwise we will lose a, a generation. And we need you guys to be in there getting the experience as well. And these are some of the new problems we have to solve. And uh, now we've got a question from Anne Bamford. Hello, Sir Simon, and thank you so much. Very, very interesting. Um, I'm Strategic Director of Education and Skills at the City of London. And my question is really picking up on your wonderful analogy of the fruit trees. And I, although a lot has been done during these last six months of virtual education to keep children going with their musical instruments, virtual lessons, taking their instruments home and so on, how do you worry about the care of the fruit trees and the continuity of the care of the fruit trees as we have returned to school and there's so many limitations on instrument playing, on choral singing, on people coming into the school? So it's about care of the orchard, I guess. We have to be very creative now on how we can get amateur music making going because in fact we i think we managed to persuade the government that now we are actually a respectable line of work and we keep on reminding them yes we are going to work when we're not just doing a middle class hobby of something but for the amateur musicians this is much harder i mean at the very start of the crisis it was important on a daily basis to remind the government that however loud you play a trombone you cannot blow out a candle with it uh, Choral singing is one of the most difficult things. Consonants in small spaces is something which is very, very hard. But we will have to find ways where, again, people, children can be in rooms playing with others, even in smaller groups, because also, I mean, it is not even just for the musical experience, but what it does socially and in terms of problem solving and psychologically is desperately important. And we must push people to be brave. Uh, people are always talking about following the science, but it's actually a lot of the science about instruments and how they were is very clear and has mm. been very well put, mm. put together. Uh, and it is safer than people believe. Uh, and so we must find a way where it can keep on, keep on going. People can do a certain amount on their own, obviously. And again, it's a bridge, but nobody pretends that it's a land mass and we must get people back onto the land where they can play together. Hello, I'm Jane. I'm, I'm head of the orchestral artistry programme at um, LSO in Guildhall. And I have a question for the Lord Mayor. Thinking about staying local and making music in our communities um, and not just in concert halls, although that's so important. And I'm wondering if city businesses could think about 
consider creating apprenticeships for those early career musicians, instrumentalists, performers, composers, who are kind of needing that lifeline to help them uh, build their careers, but also to help build the creativity as people return to their offices. That is something which we're, we're very keen to do, and I think city businesses can do a great deal. And coming back to the uh, creativity line, you know, businesses we know are more successful if they have this creativity uh, within their, their firm. So what we're discovering is that, uh, that they're understanding that, and we need to reach out to them and, and see how businesses could potentially get more involved in sponsorship. Yes, I think, I think a little seed can have extraordinary effects with a little. Uh, the arts can do an awful lot, and that, that is even more true now. Well, this conversation has been uh, held uh, under the aegis of the, the City of London Corporation and the Genesis Foundation, and we're just going to end with a few words from the founder and chairman of the Genesis Foundation, John Sudzinski. Thank you, James, and thank you, William and Simon. Uh, wow. We're all going to look back and answer the question, where were you during COVID? And now everyone can say, well, I was all over the world, but I was also here in Mansion House. As I listened to the, this interesting conversation, I thought about the fact that the City of London really networked the world from the standpoint of trade and finance in the 19th century. And I thought about how this conversation confirms again the sort of cultural importance of the City of London and how in William hosting these cultural conversations has underscored the fact that this isn't about bricks and mortar, but it's about artists uh, and it's about culture. And uh, I was very emotional listening to the question about freelancers because I, I do regard, and the Genesis Foundation is particularly focused on supporting freelancers during this crisis, they are the building blocks and the people that one has to invest in alongside artists and composers and conductors. But when we look around the world, there's no question that London is now even more connected digitally to the world as a result of this crisis. And culturally, this gives us a chance to showcase our cultural gems, such as Simon Rattle. You've heard me say before that we've often taken for granted that some of the greatest leaders in the music world, the museum world, uh, the world of, of literature, have all decided to stay in London because they see it as the center of culture and the center of the world. And granted, we're dealing with this extraordinary car crash of the virus accelerating the role of digital, uh, but the role of digital is something that we're going to have to deal with anyway, and it's a strange bedfellow for culture. But one of the things that we're learning more and more is that we can appreciate culture in so many different ways. And as long as we don't forget the building blocks, which have to do with composers and artists and freelancers, uh, this isn't going to uh, be all for naught. We'll come out of this stronger, I'm convinced of it, and this conversation underscores that when you listen to the energy and the passion of leaders like Simon Rattle. My only question which I wanted to leave with you is as you listen to this and you think about the role of digital and culture, and remember London, the city of London, is about cultural memory and reaffirming the foundation of cultural memory. But 
as we also look in our Zoom cameras and our Zoom lenses, we still have to ask the question, at what point does Zoom not really give us the humanity of the soul that we're looking for, which is what we get from a live performance and a real audience and all the passion that goes with that. So I'll pause there and thank William again for his innovation at bringing us digital, but also underscoring the fact that innovation plays an important role in culture, which we're all living with over the last six months. The Right Honourable the Lord Mayor of the City of London, Alderman William Russell's guest in that cultural conversation, which forms part of the Genesis Foundation's Artistic Minds podcast series, was Sir Simon Rattle, Music Director of the London Symphony Orchestra. To find out more about what the LSO is doing to reach audiences during these difficult times, please visit lso.co.uk. And for more about the Genesis Foundation, visit genesisfoundation.org.uk, where you can also find more about the Lord Mayor's cultural conversations, as well as listen to further Artistic Minds podcasts.